0: Farmer Friday on AgPhD
1: Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. And yes, it is Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are going to be open all throughout the show. If you want to call in, the number is 844 44 AGPHD. That's 844 442 4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, AGPhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute on a farmer Friday. Before we do, I want to tell you two quick agronomy things that we've recently learned. One, if you use gibberellic acid, products like Rise Up Smartgrass, for example, and I don't care if we're talking about in-furrow or early post, what we're finding is a lot less tillering on corn. So which, par- which is interesting, Bran, because some people think tillering is great. And some people and, think it's bad. And some people hate tillering. Yep. And- so if you don't want tillering, then use gibberellic acid. Now, what we've found is gibberellic acid isn't really having an impact on corn yield. What it is if having a positive impact on is corn tonnage for silage. So that's the reason why we're using so much in our farm. A lot of our corn is going for corn silage. And typically we're seeing corn plants that are 6 to 12 inches taller in the end because of the application of just a few dollars worth of gibberellic acid. So to us, it's absolutely worth it. To a grain farmer, you go, whatever. But again, you can have less tillers, and you will have less tillers when you use gibberellic acid. So that's one thing. Next thing, we had a farmer use Roundup together with sodium borate. Okay, sodium borate, because he wanted to get boron out there. Well, what we didn't realize is that sodium borate does hurt the performance of Roundup. And we found some studies showing maybe 30% less control. And what happens is it doesn't allow that Roundup to get into the plant. So uh, let's see, I can give you the technical term on that. But basically, it's, it's most likely going to cause an issue. Now, I'm not saying all borons do, because most borons, no problem. But this one specifically, sodium borate, Now, I don't know if we can counteract that by, let's say, using some type of water treatment product or anything else, because what happens is that sodium borate raises the the water pH, and that's not good for Roundup. And then the Roundup is not able to pass through the plasma membrane of the weed. So basically, that Roundup just doesn't get absorbed like it normally would into the weed. And as you know, if we can't get absorption, then it's impossible for that Roundup at a lethal dose to move to the growing point. And that's how Roundup kills weeds. So anyway, just a couple interesting agronomy things that I thought might help you out. Right now, though, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian
2: and Darren.
0: All right, Brian. Speaking of agronomy things, got uh, a lot of questions around nitrogen and corn. And this one comes from Matt over in Pennsylvania. Matt asks, "Can you guys talk about spoon feeding corn and some strategies I can use in my area of the country?" I put a couple hundred pounds of triple 19 out two by two with my corn when I planted. Our normal program is to till, plant, then a herbicide applications so after the weeds are two inches tall, and then 160 units of N in the form of urea broadcast before canopy, and then we're done till harvest. So after listening to you guys and looking at my CEC levels, <laughs> I'm kind of thinking you're going to tell me I don't have enough CEC to hold all that N at once. So what That's would you what suggest? That's I'm going to tell you.
1: Yep. You got a 5 CEC. And let's put it this way. If corn is going to grow, let's say you plant sometime in April, you harvest sometime in October, that's a long time to expect nitrogen to be held in that soil. Even if you put it on in, let's call it early June. Okay. So if you figure our big time months of corn growth are June, July, August, and then it's going to finish In real early September. I mean, still, it's possible you're counting on that nitrogen to stick around for over two months in a five CEC soil. In a five CEC soil, if you get, let's call it three to five inches of rain, it's very likely, it's very possible that you may flush some of that nitrogen down below the root zone. So yes, that would be concerning to me as a farmer. And I, I, I mean, my number one goal is always to make money on the farm. And along with that, we're trying to have good yield. But a side thing that we're trying to do also is not cause environmental issues out there. So however you want to look at it, either my nitrogen's lost and I lost money or my nitrogen's lost and now it ended up in somebody's groundwater. Either way, that's a bad thing. So yep, I'm probably going to tell you to spoon feed a little more. Now I would say this: I got a we usually more
0: questions here too. Yeah, yeah when you're
1: doing I know, that. but I, I would say ten times your CEC for nitrogen holding capacity. That's usually what we talk about. But when you're in season, I don't mind if you push that a little bit. Okay, so if that corn's really growing, it's going to use a lot up. So I'm not as worried about the ten times CEC. But I mean, you're going over thirty times. So that that to me is pushing it a little bit.
0: All right. Other questions here. He so said, "One change I'm making after taking these soil tests on on this field." I want to talk about adding some ammonium sulfate with my urea at yep. top dress or any other way you think I could address
1: my sulfur needs. Oh, lots of ways. I mean, there are a million different sulfur products. You got to get something. I don't care necessarily what you do, but you're completely deficient on nitrogen, sulfur, and boron, which makes sense because those are the leachable nutrients. I'll also say you're really low on copper. I mean, like 0.3 yeah, parts per million. You got to get, get that up. Got to get that up.
0: All right. So, with the ammonium sulfate, too, you've got nitrogen in the ammonium form there, which is kind of a nice thing, too. It's kind of when like stabilized nitrogen. Yep. Uh, And then he said uh, the copper's low, but he's not sure how to address it. How do you guys deal with copper? Copper sulfate. Besides pH and potassium, anything else that you see that stands out? Okay,
1: so phosphorus, your phosphorus levels are really not that high. We're talking 20 to 30. Now, it depends on your yield goal. I mean, if you're going for 130 to 160 bushel corn, it's probably fine. But like for me, I'm shooting for 250, and I want near 100 parts per million on phosphorus. So it just depends on what you're really after here. I want you to keep this in mind too. A lot of people talk about, okay, I just have to have enough in the soil. I look at your nutrient removal app. I just have to have that much in the soil. But just think about this for one second. How much of the soil do your roots actually explore and how many of those nutrients do they actually extract? Are we counting on that we're going to be able to extract 100% of the soil's phosphorus? No possible chance in the world you got to get your phosphorus levels up at least a little bit and then along with that try to keep in ratio your zinc and copper too usually we're talking eight to one ten to one phosphorus to zinc maybe 20 or 30 to one phosphorus to copper something like that all right stay tuned we're going to get to the phone lines coming up next
3: pentair hypro ultra low drift nozzles are your ideal choice for the enlist e3 herbicide system with coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90 percent less drift uld nozzles meet all required standards for enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides learn more at pentair.com hypro this is stormy fields with your weather forecast today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud insight sight.
2: Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and Precision Ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground.
0: At AgPHD, we want to support anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. In-field sessions include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees, so this is one event that you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPHD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Farmer Friday and AgPhD Radio, thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 AgPhD. If you have an agronomic question or you'd like to talk about what's going on on your farm, you can also email us radio at agphd.com and oh my goodness with grain prices where they're at we get tons of questions uh really all throughout the year about grain storage and things going on there and should i be running fans and how do i deal with things when we're at this condition, cuz i'm trying to hold some grain for a july contract these kind of issues uh, so we got our friend Tony Wendler on with Farm Shop MFG Tony how you doing
4: I am doing excellent eh, Darren uh, are you the, holding uh, any
0: grain for a July con- contract? We've got a few guys that have emailed I, in recently and said, man, it's going to be really hot and it's getting really humid. I'm worried about this grain. Uh, what should guys be thinking about with that?
4: Uh, let me I'm just go off on another thing real quick right before that. I am not holding grain for July contract, but I am loading out soybeans right now. And I just wanted to say last year I I planted some uh, hefty seed uh and did fantastic uh beans. It was the best yield I ever had. And with my end zone fan control, I'm really kind of tickled. We're coming out of the bin. Uh we're averaging 131, so maybe a slight doc. But uh the uh we're ranged on loads from uh twelve six to thirteen four. And uh I'm just thinking did an awesome job of maintaining the moisture. The other thing pertaining to emptying the bin is I'm down sweeping the floor now, and uh, I've got that about half done. And a farmer told me about uh, getting your uh, battery leaf blower in there. And I tell you what, if there's a reason to own a battery leaf blower, it is how clean you can get that bin floor uh, behind the sweep. That does awesome. So uh, going to your question on uh, holding grain in July, real good ones, very serious ones, especially where we've got all these extreme heats. This, uh, this sun on grain bins is superheating that south-southwest skin on those bins. And when it does that, it will drive moisture off that grain layer close to the bin wall, and it will move in, uh, starts out of six inches, uh, move in a foot, and it will cause a rot layer there if you don't do something to break up those convections. Uh, very important. I'm, ass- I'm going to assume everybody has warmed their grain up. Uh, the uh, if you haven't warmed your grain up, that's something you need to deal with. But uh, you've got your grain warmed up to a temperature. Whatever that temperature is, look for air opportunity to uh, run your fans for two, three, four hours to break up those convections and that moisture that's being driven off that south skin to uh, just stir it up and, and let it mix back into the grain around it. Uh, beans will absorb it. Uh, corn's not going to. You're going to be basically moving it off but um uh, it's very important to be watching what's going on with convections in uh, stored grain i've done it in the past carried it into august and some even september hitting some markets uh, the uh, you probably want to be looking uh, with the heat we've got right now you're gonna be running your fans maybe every 10 days uh, you're going to go out there and uh and stir it up a little bit so again you're looking at that average uh average temperature humidity wise uh i'm never excited about blowing real wet air into a uh, in a bin on uh, on corn kind of like to see 80 85 percent humidity and lower uh other side of that is i don't like to blow in super dry air because you're going to on corn you're going to dry the uh, you'll create a dry in front the bottom and you will dry the bottom grain so with our um end zone fan controls, we can set a humidity setting such that it's going to operate in a range that won't strip more water off of corn. And then also when the temperature is right, it's going to turn those fans on and it's got a timer to track how many hours the bin fan ran. So you can uh, every 10 days just activate it and let it uh, run. When the counter says you got uh, three, four hours, shut it off for another 10 days. Beans, the factor on that is your, your moisture. You do not want to blow a bunch of dry air in there and strip off moisture. Now, you can put it back with beans, but I hate to go backwards. You know, once you've got it there, you'd like to maintain it. The um, So those are the things I'm thinking about. I'm looking at, uh, I want to keep that uh, grain at average temperature. You need to break up these convections. And uh, the uh, humidity is a factor on... Uh, on uh, beans, if you, we talked about that high humidity air. If you've got air that is uh, 90% upper 80s and higher, you'll swell the beans on the floor. and You'll make a layer in there, and that's where you, you'll get that uh, partial covering, or you could get a whole covering of the floor yep. with rotten beans on it because yep. you've sealed that floor
0: yep yeah there's there's a lot of those problems that are real common and uh, I was just talking to somebody this morning and they said man you take a, an ice-cold soda uh, can out of the fridge you step outside in this humidity it's going to be sweating it's exactly what your bins are doing when you've got cold soybeans or cold corn inside that's why it's so important to be monitoring things all the time uh, Tony thank you so much we really appreciate having you on and for anybody listening it says man Tony's got a lot of stuff there just check it out at farmshopmfg.com you can find Tony there and ask all the questions you'd like. Thanks, Tony.
4: Thanks. Have a great weekend.
0: You bet. You too. Let's head uh, a little further over into Iowa. got Quinn on with us right now. Quinn, how's it going?
4: Good. How
5: are you guys?
0: You know what? I feel much better now than about 10 days ago when the corn looked a little yellow because, my goodness, it looks dark green here. How, how about in your part of Iowa?
5: Um, you know, uh, we had kind of a challenging spring here. Uh, you know, it was one of them things where in our pocket in northern Kasuth County, I still feel like we're, we're plenty dry, but with the spring planting season, it seemed as if it would rain just enough to keep us out of the field. And then we'd start to get geared up like, oh, I think we think we can get in here. And then sure enough, we would have about maybe one day we could work, two days we could work and then it would rain us out again, just enough. And just enough to be pesty you know
0: yep exactly yeah it's it's a uh, time of year here when we get these 90 degree days and and they're talking a hundred over the weekend that that we're gonna need some moisture to keep things going how, how about the weed control um, How's how's that looking in your area we've got a lot of volunteer corn in our our neck of the woods that's getting sprayed right now
5: yeah we're we're in the same boat you know we're it's just that kind of typical early summer type deal where you know guys are trying to fight uh, you know they're still get a lot of grasses are coming and stuff like that but um, we've had a pretty good stretch here where guys have been able to get some get some spraying done and and uh, get some work done out there
0: you know when we're uh, we're talking a lot about nitrogen and corn do you guys do side dressing do you split that application up
5: you know uh, for for us personally we don't side dress uh, my dad and I uh, we we do a lot of you uh, you, you, we put your re on, and then we come in with uh, liquid after it's up. But, um, well, we don't side dress per se. But there are guys in our area that do. Um, I, I actually have a good friend that he does strip killing, and they do a, a quite a bit of side dressing as well.
0: Sure. Yeah. Everybody's got their own little tweak, but and and you guys have some pretty good yeah. heavy soils too.
5: Well, yeah, we do. We have uh, we have some stuff that really holds moisture and holds holds nutrient value. You know, it holds its value there. Um, you know, with me and Dad, with you know, I have talked to you guys on here before. We we haul sludge out of wastewater treatment facilities. That's primarily what me and him do for a living. But uh, we don't farm. You know, but a few hundred acres. But um, that being said, my dad and I in the spring we're just we're really busy, so we just don't have the opportunity to do some of these. Uh, Practices like some guys have the, the time to do,
0: you know. Sure, sure. Now, when you talk about the sludge business, are, are you moving a lot of stuff in the spring? And then for guys that are doing silage, are you getting started right after they take stuff off?
5: Yes, yes. Uh, so what we do, we, we come in, we have our, you know, um, most of our contracts that we carry, uh, a lot of them are fall application only. They have enough storage to get, you know, buy just one annual pump out, but we do have some cities that, you know, don't necessarily have the amount of storage that they need to get through for a full year. So we'll come in there in the spring, and and a lot of the cities we work with, we are able to get some row crop ground covered, you know, that goes to corn, Um, but there are some cities that just we don't have the time to do, so we like to to find some uh, hay ground, especially for stuff that's, um, you know, aerobically digested. 'Cause that seems to not have the higher higher nutrient value like some of the anaerobically digested
0: material. Sure, sure, yeah. You gotta gotta do what you can to get all that spread, no doubt about that. Hey Quinn, we gotta run, but great talking to you and good luck here. Hopefully you guys catch some rain soon. It's Farmer Friday and PhD Radio. We'll be right back.
2: Take a second and listen. You hear that? That's the sound of your roots growing where they've never gone before. There are additional nutrients and water in your soil, hidden in tough-to-reach spaces. With MycoApply Endoprime, hyphae attached to the root hairs to reach small areas inaccessible to big roots, even some that are tied up in the soil. Applied in furrow at planting, MycoApply Endoprime uses four, four unique species of mycorrhizal fungi to go where roots can't. Unlock the potential of your corn crop with MycoApply Endoprime, and by nurturing your soil today, you're helping to ensure future harvests will be just as bountiful. For more information, talk to your local retailer or visit valent.com endoprime. Always read and follow label instructions. Maximum application flexibility. Maximum yields at harvest, whether or not. Relentless is the kind of control you'll always get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Low use rate Anthem Max Herbicide protects corn and soybean crops from the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses, including water hemp, palmer pigweed, foxtails, crabgrass, and more. Dual modes of action and lasting overlapping residuals also help you minimize resistance in your fields. It's easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window make Anthem Max Herbicide the crop protection choice that's ready when you are. Rain or shine, weather or not, relentless, that's Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio and we welcome your calls and agronomic questions at 844 Forty-four Ag PhD. Oh, it's so fun this time of year. So many things going on out there to talk about. Uh, let's head over to Oregon. We've got Josh on with us right now. Josh, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Just uh, sitting here watching the wind blow and rain this morning. So, you know, it's going good. Yeah. Yeah. Is the rain welcome? You guys need it? Uh, actually, this
6: year, it's this spring has been very abnormally wet and cool. So, it's uh, I mean, going into April, we were it was looking uh, like another drought year, but then April came and uh,
0: it turned around and it hasn't really stopped. <laughs> That's a tough thing. It seems like when the rain quits, it really quits, or when it rains, it really rains. So, you know, when you you think about it, how's it impacting the crops? How are the crops looking?
6: Uh, it's, it, right now, it, it has potential to be a. a a, a real good one,
0: you know. So when you think about think about all the grass seed and and different crops, uh, cool and wet could be a good thing. What what specific crops have you got?
6: Uh, we we just grow wheat. Okay, and some there's some barley around here, but uh, actually we uh, we got uh, stripe rust this this year, which I don't mind because that means it's usually wet in the spring, and that means it's going to be a good crop. So uh, that's I. Finished that probably a couple weeks ago, spraying for rust. And basically, when I finished, I started actually seeing it in the fields. But our neighbors had it, so I just said I'm just going to start spraying it.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. You got to be ahead of it. No doubt about that. We, we, uh, in our part of the world, we, we just watch the States that are South of us. And a lot of times we'll see it blow up through Kansas and Nebraska, and then it'll get to us in South Dakota. So we get a little bit of a heads up. Do you have that kind of thing where you're at in Oregon or is it just the overwintering kind that can just pop up out of nowhere? No, it's
6: uh, usually it you'll see see it coming out of like the palouse area then when it starts showing up first then that slowly makes its way over here if it does hit us and the variety we now uh, we have now is susceptible to rust anyway so i just said this is the year and with the wheat prices it's not
0: really costing much in the grand scheme of things for cheap insurance. No, no, that's for sure. We we've seen a few insects out in the wheat in our part of the world. How about you? Have you had much for bug problems yet?
6: Um, a neighbor said he saw some aphids, and but nothing to really worry about.
0: Yeah, you just you just wonder with the weather too. And I know it's starting to warm up where we are finally, and uh, we're starting to see aphids show up in a few different crops. So. I don't know, you just don't know what to wish for. I guess you, you kind of like the weather you've had so far to get some moisture and, and get things growing, but by the same token, uh, it's got to warm up eventually.
6: Yeah, I'm, I actually, I'm hoping to, because this is abnormally cool in our area right now, and I don't think we've seen, we've maybe seen 80s a couple times this spring already. But usually we're but usually this time we're in the nineties and hit hundred a couple times and yeah, we barely hit eighty. It's been in the fifties and sixties, mostly all spring. So I wouldn't mind a couple of heat days to get this going.
0: <laughs> we yeah. going along. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, Josh, thank you so much for giving us the update. We really appreciate it. It's good talking to you. Yeah, I have a quick question oh, for sure. you. Sure, go ahead. So on uh Oh, wheat. This is more like
6: wheat seed and the size of kernels. Um, last year was a it was really drought here, so it was really pinched up, and um, the seed count was I don't know. I think the average was anywhere from fifteen to eighteen thousand per seed count, but an average year is like twelve thousand or ten to twelve thousand on average crop year. Um, does seed size matter on uh, our seed count? matter as far as I know it I want a certain amount of seeds per acre but as far as the size of the kernel does that matter as much if it's still passing all the germination tests and all that other
0: Yeah as far uh, as stuff? the seed that you're planting doesn't matter if it's a big fat seed or a, a skinny seed as long as it's meeting the germ
1: sample in general usually not No it, okay. it, it, I mean in terms of getting it germinated but when we all think about this logically for a second. That seed has got to provide energy for the young seedling. So if it's much smaller, then it's going to have less there. So is it possible that you, I mean, yeah, it might germinate fine, but it won't produce as healthy a young plant early on? That's possible. But we do look an awful lot at what's the nutrient content and that kind of thing. So so that probably plays a little bigger role than the size necessarily. But I, I will say this. We, we raise a lot of soybean seed for seed production. And we, we are fertilizing heavily. We're doing fungicide, insecticide, just doing everything we possibly can to raise a better crop. And because of that, the seed size is bigger. And then... I'm not going to say all the time, but occasionally we we do see where that bigger seed size can pay and can lead to a little bit healthier early vigor in the plant. So, yeah, it's not a real big deal. And obviously there's nothing you can do in a drought year to change that dramatically. But um, I, I would be not super worried as long as the germ test is fine. But knowing that, hey, I, I really don't want that unless I absolutely have to take it.
6: Okay. No, it's just, uh, and I'd rather have the big plump kernel because in my mind, like you say, if, it's, if it looks big and healthy, I mean, it should <laughs> produce a healthy plant. Right. And, uh, you know, but everybody says, oh, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, small and pinched up because it's all past the germination test so it's not that big of a deal but for
1: just, for germination yep for germination we agree 100 percent. the germination test will tell you is it going to germinate or not but that does not mean that it's going to be a super healthy young seedling okay all right all right thank you you bet thanks, thanks josh. josh
0: let's head over to illinois get rock on with us right now rock how's it
7: going Wonderful, fellas. Is there a chance you could send a little rain to the east? Could you do that?
0: I don't know if we got much to spare yet, Rock, but if we can, uh, we certainly will.
7: We, we got off to a great start here in northwestern Illinois the last 50 days. Uh, we kind of waited when it was really cold, and then it warmed up really quick. And we had corn emerging in six to seven days, which was quite unusual. Uh, then we you know we'd have three-tenths, four-tenths, five-tenths events, uh, activated the herbicide, everything germinated really well, and kind of unusual in this country is we haven't had any big, heavy rain events that drowned out the low pockets, you know, and we're just off to a great start, and even since then, we haven't had any big events, so we we planted every acre, which is kind of unusual. Some years, we have to go around the wet holes and come back a month later and plant them in. Will we... Got everything planned the first time and got some nice rains, but gosh, are we dry now. The The corn on the sand is really rolling up and we're going to be in the mid, mid to upper 90s for the next 10 days and only 40-45% chance next Wednesday. We missed a really good chance two days ago, so we have all the irrigators fired up and running now.
0: Yeah, that's... Uh... It's fortunate that you've got irrigation, that sandy ground, it it doesn't take long. And I know for some of our non-farm listeners, they hear folks say, well, we're only a week away from a drought or two weeks away from a drought. That's exactly what Rock's talking about. On some of this sandier soil, it just doesn't hold much moisture. Boy, we get a few warm days and the crop is pulling moisture out every single day trying to grow. We can run out of moisture really fast in those situations.
7: It sure does, and it's just shocking to look at that corn on a 70-degree day versus a 90-degree day, and that corn just rolls up, kind of a protection mechanism, rolling those leaves up, and uh, it it's kind of disheartening. We sure have visions of 2008, 2012, and we're off to such a good start, we sure don't want to see that again.
0: No, and, and our crop is, is worth a lot this year. We really need it. The world really needs this corn, so it's important that we we get a good crop. Well, Rock, we'll, uh, we'll certainly be praying for you guys to catch some rain soon over there.
7: Okay, appreciate it. Great talk with you guys again. Thank you.
0: You bet. Thank you. Yeah, that that rainfall thing is so critical this time of year, especially as a lot of guys are talking about nitrogen, and I know we're right in that same boat, too, and we put some nitrogen out there. Love to catch some rain to to get it down into the soil, into that root zone, and and hopefully into the plants as quickly as we can to give them that boost they need. It's Farmer Friday on today's Ag PhD radio show, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
4: When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to AgPhD.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day.
4: What's new from New Farm? Leopard herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall.
2: It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva Agriscience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air it's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us.
0: It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Real happy to have the millennial farmer, Zach Johnson, on with us right now from Minnesota. Zach, how's it going?
3: It's going good. How are you
0: guys? You know, we're doing pretty well. The crop is uh, starting to look pretty good here. How about in your area?
3: I would say about the same here. If you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said nothing looks too great, but uh, with the heat that we've had lately, and some of the thunderstorms finally stopping, it seems like especially the corn is growing really quickly right now. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. I know we're just looking for days that it's not too windy that we can get some spraying done, but now it's getting a little too hot as well. What are you doing out in the fields right now?
3: Well, we're in the same situation. So we've got the sprayer running on corn right now. I hope we we can finish up spraying the corn, and then it's going to be hot over the weekend. Our beans are a little... They're, they're too short right now. We're not worried about getting those sprayed right now, but probably middle of next week they'll be ready. We had beans that were coming up in three to four days after planting, so the beans are coming quickly also.
0: Let me ask you a corn question here. How nervous are you about tar spot this year?
3: Boy, that'd be a better question for my agronomist. I haven't heard a whole lot about <laughs> So you're it. not going to worry
0: is what you're saying, Zach. I'm not
3: going to worry. I'll let, I'll let the other guys worry about that. Well, I'm not going to worry yet.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, that's fair. That's fair. I'm looking at all the things going on out in fields right now, and the one that I am worried about or concerned about right now is volunteer corn. My goodness, it's a good year for volunteer corn. Are they coming out of a couple drought years? There's there's a lot of volunteer corn out in these fields. Have have you guys got that in your area too?
3: We do. um, We're not really seeing it yet because we just finished up. A lot of guys just have finished up soybeans in the last few days here. Um, so we've got a lot of tillage we've knocked some of that volunteer corn back but it's definitely going to be a big issue we're planning on it being a big issue because we had a lot of wind damage last year and we had about 500 acres that we had to harvest at an angle so we know we're going to be dealing with a lot of that
0: yeah yeah that's that's no fun that's for sure all right so you get to talk to a lot of folks uh, from around the country what are people asking you about right now
3: you know, I guess the talk has been the difficulty of really getting everything in this spring. There's just been there's been a lot of storms, a lot of heavy rains, um, at least in my area. I know you go out west of here, and you don't have to get too far west before it it, uh, it really turns into a drought. So I would say kind of the, the same thing as what we hear in a lot of springs. There's been a lot of weather scares, but it, at least in my area, for sure, we have had more rain in, in the last uh, six, eight weeks than what we had the entire year last year.
0: You guys have had some terrible storms too. how How's everybody doing? It did uh, was there a lot of damage around the area, or or was it manageable?
3: Uh, there's there's quite a bit of damage. Um, we lost a we lost a, a machine shed and a grain bin ourselves. We've got damage to three other grain bins. Um, we've actually got an excavator here today picking those up and and crushing them into dumpsters. Um, but overall, honestly, we we were one of the lucky ones. I know if you get uh, west of us about an hour, there's guys that have entire bin sites that have been wiped out. The the grain legs, the dryers, everything is wiped out, Um, and there again, if you go east of us about 10 miles only, there was a tornado that really wiped out a small town over there, and I mean, it's just completely changed the landscape over in that area, and you know I I don't know of any farms over there that got wiped out but um honestly it, it I think everybody's lucky that uh, nobody was hurt in that it was it's quite the ordeal it's a mess
0: yeah, I saw that you had had some damage personally from this. And uh, I, I was talking to another farmer not too far away that said he was one of the first ones that got his name in with the bin company to get some work done. And he's like, my goodness, I talked to the guys again just to see, well, how long is it going to be? And they said, you wouldn't believe how many bins we've got to do now. And it was the list was in the hundreds.
3: Yeah, we're hearing the same thing. And we're hearing that also from the the company that's going to be building us a machine shed um we've heard that from the the irrigator place just south of us there and we don't have a lot of irrigators in our area but the uh the the guy that one of the guys i know that works at the irrigator place he said by monday morning at 6 a.m he had about 30 missed calls from guys trying to get on the list to get stuff uh either fixed or or bought new wow
0: yeah, it's it's a, it's a big deal. And then, of course, we've got all these supply issues going on and uh, labor shortages and you name it. It's just another set of challenges for us. But we do have good crop prices, Zach. So if we can at least raise a good crop, even if we don't have a bin to put it in, maybe we'll have enough money uh, just selling it outright right out of
3: the field. Yeah, we, we got that going for us. All we, all we got to do is figure out how to market perfectly, huh?
0: <laughs> well, when you <laughs> figure that one out, just let us all know because, man, we just have to do it once. You know, Brian was just talking about what our opportunity is here at one of the local ethanol plants. I'm like, man, Brian, that is, that's an amazing price right now. I, I realize we're going to have a lot of expenses to pay for that we, we don't get to keep all of that. But, but still, it sounds like a pretty good gross income at least.
3: Yeah, I, boy, I hope so. You know, it's it's going to be, it's it's kind of a tough deal with a, a few guys around my area. They've got some prevent plant issues and fields that they weren't able to get into, and and boy, that's that's really a a kick in a in a year like this when the prices are so good, and you just want to do everything you possibly can to get that crop in the ground and get something growing.
0: Yeah, anyone that thinks a farmer just wants to go grab a check instead of raise a crop is nuts. Uh, The world needs our crops, and every one of these guys is doing a lot to try to get the crop in. And one of those is uh, the millennial farmer here, Zach Johnson. Zach, thank you so much for being generous with your time, and and good luck to everybody in your area. I know you've had some tough stuff come through this year, but hopefully you end up with a really good crop to to help out.
3: Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. And and, uh, same to you. Appreciate you guys having me on.
0: You bet. It is Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open at 844 44 ag You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Brian, we've had uh, to get another nitrogen question for you. This one comes in from Darren, and he said, uh, guys, uh, looking at soil samples here, we sent in to, to get a nitrogen number and see what we'd need to do for side dressing. Uh, I, I sent in zero to six inch samples. I sent in six to 12 inch samples. I'm wondering about total parts per million I'd need. I'm shooting for 250 bushel corn. I've got 4% organic matter, and uh, I put on 80 units with the planter. Just curious what you think. Okay. Uh,
1: so, Darren is down in Iowa. Sure. So we have gotten a lot of these nitrogen questions, and our number one piece of advice is always run the test. Yeah, I, 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 I think I got it, Darren. Uh, I can, I, Darren is passing me. I was going to send him the sample here. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I've, I've looked at this already. I feel pretty comfortable. Here, Here's where I'm going with this. When we start talking about nitrogen use overall, first thing we've got to know is what's in the soil today. And if you don't run a pre nitrate test, quite frankly, we're guessing. And I don't like to guess when nitrogen costs a dollar a unit or close to that, and when we have the chance to get almost record income. I mean, we are not far away from the highest ever corn price. And who knows? I mean, maybe we'll hit it this summer, maybe we won't. But the point is, I want to raise as many bushels as possible. I can't do that if I'm if I'm not getting enough nitrogen out there. But yet, none of us want to overspend. So anyway... I prefer 24-inch soil cores, especially in heavy soil. Now, if you've got really light soil, you're irrigating, you get lots of rainfall, I get it that you only want to sample the top 12 inches because you figure, well, what's deeper than that I might lose. I don't have lots of roots down there or anything like that. But on our farm, not a lot of rainfall, really heavy soils. I'm testing 24 inches deep every time. So that's the first thing I'd say is, You know, if you're only doing a 12 inch sample, and I know where Darren's located is not all that far away from us, I'd say I'm really curious on that 24. What do what what are we doing at 24? Okay, the next thing is 250 bushel corn needs 280 pounds of nitrogen, and we've gone through this a little bit before. People will say, "Well, wait a second, I raised 250 bushel corn on 150 pounds of nitrogen." No, you do not. You may raise 250 bushel corn on 150 pounds of applied nitrogen, but I'm talking about total nitrogen use. That means any that was left in the soil, any that mineralized in the soil, any manure that came available that had been put on a year ago, two years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, any possible nitrogen that came into that plant. You need 280. Well, if you're only at, let's say like on our farm, we're V7, V8. So we probably have only used about 15% of the total nitrogen. So we still probably need another 235 pounds. Let's assume Darren's in the same boat. Okay, I don't care what you put on at planting time. All we care about is what do we have in that soil right now? If you got 4% organic matter, that means you got roughly 80 to 120 pounds that's going to come available there. So you can see where I'm going here. There's still need for quite a bit of nitrogen out in that field well stay tuned we'll get to more of your questions right after this
3: with superior materials craftsmanship and best in class warranty a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time to learn how we can help you expand your farm operation visit mortonbuildings.com
2: Get an extra semi load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from Farmshop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi load. Visit farmshopmfg.com
4: for more.
2: in a world of Veltima fungicide.
1: Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide.
7: Okay, Veltima fungicide.
1: No, that's literally the same.
7: Veltima fungicide.
1: Still doing it.
7: Veltima fungicide does it.
1: Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide, swift, simple, and secure.
7: Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer.
1: Always read and follow label directions.
7: Welcome back. You're
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and emails radio at agphd.com. Got this one in, Brian, and he said, we're located down in central Texas and we are in a tough patch to say the least. Uh, Raising corn on corn following a drought year, only 5 inches of rain for the season. Corn's only going to use about half of the N that we put out there. So I'm wondering, what do I do with that carryover N that's out in the soil? Can I credit all of it for next year? Should I apply a cover crop to try to scavenge some of that N and hold it out there? And will my soil test show how much N I have in the fall, or do I have to do another test in the spring?
1: Well, those are good questions. I, I, I mean... It's nice when you have some type of cover crop out there to hold it, yes. And then you just have to soil test. Okay, so it's different where I'm at than where you're at. Where we're at, we have there are grounds frozen for five months out of the year, so nothing changes. So I can soil test in the fall, and my tests are basically identical come spring. You're not able to do that. So you can test this fall, but you're going to have to test again next spring to see what you actually have for nitrogen out there. So let's say you wanted to try it with no cover crop. Well, then you're counting on that nitrogen to just hang there in the soil. And I don't know how heavy your soil are. It absolutely will make a difference how much rainfall you get. The more rain you get, the less chance that nitrogen will be there. Um, And the other thing is a lot of people talk about cover crops. When I, when we talk cover crop, that means the crop entirely stays on the field. It never leaves. But I think maybe where you're going with this is baling or grazing. Well, if you do that, then think about that. Some of those nutrients that are in that field are going to end up in the cover crop, which is now not really a cover crop. It's a grazing crop. It's another cash crop is the way I look at it, and it left with your livestock. So I, I don't know what your plans are there exactly, but I wouldn't be counting on any nitrogen for next year. I would simply test before you're going to raise the next crop. If there's nitrogen in the soil, great. If there's not, hey, you got to plan accordingly.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Get this one in from Chris. I said, I'm having a terrible time with Canadian thistles on my septic mound. I don't want to use glyphosate because it will kill the grass there. I watch your show religiously, and I know you have suggested different thistle control products in the past, Which ones do you think would be safe for me to spray myself?
1: Okay, and I assume by septic mound here, we're talking about a septic system and you just wanted to have grass running over the top of the septic lines. If that's the case, then you're you're most likely in a yard. Now, I will say like on our own farm, we have septic running out into where there's been pasture over the years, so that's a little bit different. If I'm in pasture ground, I'd use milestone that'll eliminate the thistles for good in a lot of cases. Seven ounces of milestone, it's great. If you're near your house and trees and that kind of stuff, then I'm just going to recommend Frelex, And I'd probably spray three times a year for three years, and then the thistles over that time will disappear. And Frelex, by the way, is the new 2,4-D that doesn't have all the volatility of the old 2,4-D.
0: And it doesn't have the stink either. That's kind of a nice thing also. All right. uh, Get this one in from Mark. I don't know. I, I would say it still smells to some degree. But anyway, go ahead. All right. I got this one in from Mark, and uh, he said, uh, thanks for looking at my soil test, guys. really appreciate the the nu- nutrient advice. Here's my question uh, as a follow-up here. My CEC says it's pretty <laughs> low. Yep, 6 and to 10. I I think that it's the worst situation of clay and sand combined. Uh, what I have is kaolinite clay. With larger particles, still very small, but it has a one-to-one ratio of alumina to silica particles. Other clays are a two-to-one ratio and hold water and nutrients much better, from my understanding. I'm just curious, should I consider this uh, by the CEC number, or should I consider it as clay for labeled
1: rates of herbicides and pesticides? By the CEC number, absolutely. So... If you've got a, like in one of these tests, it says 6.4, that tells us it's mostly sand in your ground. Is there some clay there? I have no doubt that there probably is, but I'm just saying you got a lot of sand out there and you got to plan accordingly. Uh, The good news is you have pretty good organic matter levels. Like in that one, it's 5.3% organic matter and your calcium, magnesium, any of that stuff, it's really not that bad. Um, so your soil pH is just a hair on the low side in that really light ground 5.8. But if you put a tiny splash of lime on there, your hydrogen would be down less than 10, your calcium would be above 60. And I mean, you'd have almost the perfect ratios of those nutrients. Now I, the ones in the base saturation test, but I would say your phosphorus levels are low. I mean, like in that lighter ground, you got 11 parts per million on a P1 test. So you're not going to be able to raise much crop with that. Which got good levels of copper and zinc's not too bad, so it's it's really more the leachables and phosphorus that you got to worry about.
0: All right, thanks for the for the question and the the follow up there. Get this one from Trevor up in Ontario, Canada, and he said, uh, "One thing I'd love to see you guys do. I listen to your show a lot." Uh, and we did invest in grid soil sampling. But I'd love to see you have some sort of data sheet to compare our results with what good levels or ranges or ratios are. I know you have your nutrient removal app. Just wondering, do you have any resource out there to show us what target lo- levels should be?
1: Yeah, we've we've done a number of Ag PhD episodes on that. We do that at our Ag PhD soils clinics. Um, we, we've talked about it even here on our radio show. I don't know on our website, what we have out there for any, any yeah, click on the resources tab at
0: Ag PhD. We may have some of that stuff there. Otherwise, yeah, like Brian said, we've gone through each individual nutrient and talked about what our,
1: our numbers are there. Yeah. And if you want to send us your soil tests at any point, we're more than happy to look at them.
0: All right. Uh, get this one in from Brandon and he said, all right, guys, uh, growing foxtail millet for hay in western Nebraska uh, and up into South Dakota just wondering what do you do for weed control in foxtail millet is it just broadleaf control it's possible or are there some grass control options as well
1: if there's if there's grass control I don't know what that would be in foxtail millet and yeah as far as broadleaves I, I mean okay let's put it this way if you ask us almost anything on corn, soybeans, and wheat, I can tell you off the top of my head. I mean, because we have decades of experience, extensive experience with literally almost everything that's ever come on the market in those crops. But I don't with foxtail millet. I I, I don't remember off the top of my head what what exactly is labeled in there. So I'll just throw out. Usually people are talking about 2,4-D in millet, uh, but I'd I'd have to go back and take a look at my notes and see what what I can come up with for foxtail millet. So, Darren, save the question. (laughs) We'll bring it up uh, next week. So I'll I'll look it up.
0: Okay. I get this one in from Bradley who said... uh, Thanks for the responses to my previous previous questions. I'm in no-till. I'm wondering if I do see chemical injury, uh, what causes it and what steps can I do to avoid chemical injury in the future, especially with
1: residual chemistries? Yep. So, number one, you want to follow the label. As long as you're doing that, then in a lot of cases, you're going to be in pretty good shape. But there are so many factors to get into that, I, I, I mean, we have a minute left in the show, and it would take me an hour to go through every last possible thing that I can think of, even off the top of my head. Yeah,
0: for the most part, it's overload so, of chemistry. It's gotten in too quick for one reason or another. and no-till, yeah. a lot of it's laying in a very concentrated layer at the soil surface, and whether it splashes up on leaves or just impacts the stalk or shallow root system, uh, that could be a big thing because a lot of those are shoot inhibitors, which catch the plant between where the seed germinates and the shoot before it gets out of the ground. And that's right where you placed your herbicide.
1: Yep. And I would just say, if you've got specific chemistries you're concerned about, let us know what those are. And then we can run run through at least some of the scenarios there. But there are, there are a lot of things that can happen. But for the most part, as long as you follow the label, you're in pretty good shape.
0: All right, got one in from John in Texas. He said, tasseling time corn, I need to put fungicide out there, foliar fertilizer also, but I want to mix an insecticide in there. I know Lorsban used to add leaf burn. Are there any others that I should really watch out for that may cause more leaf burn?
1: Nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. Lorsban Lorsban just had
0: a lot of oils in it, right? Yeah, it did. Yep.
1: So so that's the big
0: thing. It's that formulation of the insecticide. So, yeah, I right. don't know of any others that have that level of oil like van did. No. Hey, thanks for the question. And, yeah, tasseling time, lots of stuff going on. We'll be talking about that more uh, as the summer progresses here, of the different things you can do to uh, help preserve all the yield you possibly can. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.